Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. Good after. I was going to say good afternoon yesterday, but no, it, it's good afternoon, everyone, today, but I'm currently not thinking about today. I'm thinking about yesterday. So good afternoon yesterday. If only I could turn back time and do something over. I guess technically I could. I could go back and erase what I did yesterday. So then I could say good afternoon, everyone, today and just forget that yesterday happened, right? And then just redo it and then no one would know. No one would know that I messed up two words. I messed up two words horribly. Let me me just play how the words are actually supposed to be stated. Here we go. Here is the first one. Commensurate. 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 The other word is... Commiserate. Commiserate. Commensurate and commiserate. Commensurate and commiserate. I I confused the two words. I and and I almost created a third one where I was putting those two words together, but I did give the actual definition to this word. Commensurate. Commensurate. I did give the right definition to commensurate. But I was saying commiserate. Commensurate is the right word. I think I was saying commensurate, but it's commensurate and commiserate. I was mixing these two words together, but I was giving the right definition. So let me give you the definition of both words, and then I'll explain. What, what, you know what's so sad? What An hour of teaching really doesn't even matter because I messed up two words and I really mixed them together and almost created a third one. It's just so sad when an hour of actual teaching really no longer matters because of one mistake. I guess you could call it three mistakes because it's really mixing up two words and creating a third one. But I I, I think I ultimately, I think I gave, at least I was still able to get the idea across, but it's just so sad that Maybe not in your mind, but in my mind, all I can remember about yesterday was this mistake. I did hours and hours of teaching, but all that stands out in my mind is this mistake. So I want to fix it because I, if I don't fix it, then I, don't, I can't advance our teaching. And here's what's really bothering me. I think that the teaching is far more important than maybe even my listeners realize. Like, I think I was really onto something very, very, very important. And I don't know if anyone caught how important it was because I think what actually stood out, or at least in my mind, was the mistake instead of the teaching. So let's go through each word and a correct definition, and then you'll see how I messed this up. Are you ready? Here is the first word again. Commensurate. One more time. Commensurate. Now, commensurate means corresponding in size, amount, or degree. Proportionate. Commensurate. 
corresponding in size, amount, or degree. It's proportionate, right? I think. I think that's. I think one more time. Commensurate. 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 Now this word, the next one. Commiserate. Commiserate. Commiserate is to feel or express sympathy. Commiserate is to feel or express sympathy. Very different meanings. Not the same word, okay? Not the same word, all right? So so those are the two words, all right? So once again, the first one? Commensurate. Commensurate. The second word? Commiserate. Commiserate. Commensurate and commiserate. Now, I messed them all up, and I messed them up in my discussion and teaching on narcissism. I was going to mess up narcissism now, all right? I, I, I was so trying to get an understanding of narcissism into our minds. I was so focused on that because I believe not only is narcissism the very essence of our sinful nature, therefore meaning all of us is infected with narcissism to some level, I think the Bible seems to indicate that narcissism will be the really the main characteristic of the end times church, that narcissism is something we need to deal with. And I think spiritual growth is really us moving away from a narcissistic mentality and a narcissistic attitude and characteristics I, I, when we move from a, a narcissistic character. I think spiritual growth is moving away from that. So I think this is essential not only to your Christian life, it's essential to the future of the church. We've got to know what narcissism is. <laughs> but we, I messed up our focus on narcissism because of those two words. So let's go back and remember everything that we learned. All right. We learned that narcissism is defined as having an excessive interest in or admiration for oneself. All right. We we remember that the word is, even though the word is seemingly modern, it has been around for a very long time. In Greek mythology, Narcissus was known for his beauty and fixation on himself Remember, the story is told about him seeing his reflection in a pool of water, and he fell in love with himself. All right? Ultimately, he fell in love with himself, he, and he fell in love as if it was another human being, but it was another human being that was, well, just like him. He, he was so in love with himself when he saw a reflection of himself, he was like, well, I got to love that because, well, it's a lot like me. So therefore, he loved himself. Narcissism is a love for self a preoccupation with self, right? And this is the very essence of our sin nature because I define our sin nature, the essence of our sin nature is the elevation or the exaltation of the I or of the self. And when I say the I, just the letter I, not not E-Y-E, but just the letter I. In other words, it's the exaltation of yourself, right? All very important points. So we looked at the nine traits of narcissism. And the first trait was this, has a grandiose sense of self-importance, exaggerates achievements and talents, expects to be recognized as superior without what kind of achievements? This kind of achievements. Commensurate. Without commensurate achievements. 
So one of the first characteristic of a narcissist is a, as someone who has a grandiose sense of self-importance, exaggerates achievements and talents, and expect to be, expects to be recognized as superior without commiserate achievements. All right? Now, I messed up the word, but I did define it correctly. So now, I'm not even going to use the word commensurate. I'm going to use, I'm just going to describe it this way. The first trait of a narcissist is someone who has a grandiose sense of self-importance, exaggerates their achievements and talents, and expects to be recognized as superior, even though they do not have the corresponding amount of success, achievements, etc. They want to, uh, they don't have the same level of achievements, but they want to be viewed as superior or at least equal. One of the, uh, one of the characteristics of a narcissist is a grandiose self a sense of self-importance. It's about you, 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 you. And you will do everything you can to exalt yourself, even if you have to make up things, even if you have to, even if you have to exaggerate something because you want to be superior. You want to be the best. You want to be the most popular. You want to have the best job, whatever the case may be. You want to make sure that, that you look as, as well as you can look in every situation, even if it calls for a little bit of exaggeration, a little bit of of messing with the facts, right? That's the first characteristic, all right? Grandiose sense of self-importance. Second, it's pre, is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. This is the idea that when you fantasize, it's always about your success, your power, your brilliance, your beauty, your love. And when I say your love, the love that, that will, will make you the happiest, Right? You're preoccupied with everything that, that is about you, everything that makes things better for you. Now, let me make it very clear. Not only these are somewhat vague at times so that they can almost apply to anyone, the real issue here is no matter how specific or vague they're going to be, you're going to find yourself in these characteristics of a narcissist because I believe it's a part of our sinful nature. Number three was a narcissist or one of the traits of narcissism is believes that they are special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other people or high status people or institutions. Hey, no one can understand me. And the only people I want to be around are people who have the same level of success. I want to be around those kinds of people, right? Because they're the only ones who can get me, right? Because you have this, you know, grandiose opinion of yourself. Number four, requires excessive admiration. Number five, has a sense of entitlement, unreasonable expectations of especially favorable treatment or automatic, automatic compliance with their expectations, All right? They, they, they want everything to go their way, and if it doesn't go their way, they get very upset, and they want everyone to comply with their expectations. Hey, this is what I want. This is what we should do. Is interpersonally exploitative, takes advantages of others to achieve their own ends. In other words, they see people as a means to an end. Number seven, lacks empathy, is unwilling to recognize or identify with the feelings and needs of others. Number eight, is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of them. And number nine, shows arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. Those are the nine traits of narcissism. Now, if you go to the mental health world, right? If you go to the mental health world, 
and you look all of those traits up that are can uh, be found in the DSM-5, licensed professionals and mental health, uh, you know, experts would say that if you have at least five of those traits, five of the, five out of those nine traits, if you have at least five of them, then you could be labeled as someone with narcissistic personality disorder, NPD. Now, whether you have those five or whether you try to push back, I'm going to tell you that you have a little bit of all nine inside of you. And it's not a result of a person. Well, maybe you could call it a personality disorder, but it's a personality disorder that is caused by your fallen nature. We all have a personality disorder. We all do. Every single person you meet has a personality disorder. It's called sin. Sin corrupts our, our opinions of ourself. It corrupts our opinions of other people. It corrupts our thoughts about God. It corrupts everything. It corrupts our feelings, our emotions, our thinking. It, it corrupts everything. So we have a little bit of these characteristics in all of us, right? Does, does that make sense? I hope it does. Now, that's that cleans up yesterday's, I don't know what in the world I was doing with those words. I don't know why I messed them up, but I did, all right? I did. There's nothing I can do about it. In fact, I, I look, there, there was everything. I'm just, I'm just going to go say this for, for confession purposes, right? Because I'm talking about this because I believe it's a real problem in all of us. And I'll just show you how it shows up in me. This, this is a very simple thing. You may not think it's a big deal, but it's a big deal to me because it shows a little bit of that narcissism in me. When I was driving home, and I was listening. I told everyone live on the air yesterday what I was going to do. I got in the car. And even though I told myself not to do it, in fact, I made it like, I don't know, maybe a mile down the road. And I immediately grabbed my phone. I couldn't stop myself. I had to go listen to what I just done live on the air. And when I got to that whole part, commensurate, commiserate, and I realized that I messed it up. And I was basically trying to create a third word. And even though I gave the right defin- definition of commensurate, commiserate, even though I gave the right definition, I, you know, I was still saying commiserate. I, I was so, I was just so embarrassed. I was so irritated that because I knew it made me look stupid. It made me look irritated. So by the time I got home, I almost wanted to go in, delete the episode, just delete it. And then today come back and redo it. And I thought I could do that. Probably 99% of the people would care, could care less. 99% of the people would not even notice. They would, they would care less. But you know what? The only reason I would be doing it ultimately, now I could tell myself, oh, I'm doing this because I want God to be glorified. And I don't want to put anything that's unprofessional out on the internet. Now, there, I think there's a little bit of truth to that. I believe sometimes as Christians, we need to make sure that we're putting things out that is glorifying to God. And, and we do the best, the best that we can do in whatever we do. Whatever job we have, we always want to do the best we can, whether it's a podcast or it's sweeping floors. We always want to do the best we can for God's glory. But it's very easy to wrap that up in a robe of self-righteousness, saying I'm doing it for God. When the only reason I would ultimately be deleting it had nothing to do with God, it was for my own sake, for my own wanting to be perceived at being maybe better than I actually am, being a better communicator than I actually am. And if, I, if I'm doing a podcast about narcissism, I'll make a mistake 
which immediately goes after the narcissism in me. And then I cover up the mistake with editing, deleting, whatever. What would be the point of doing a broadcast about narcissism if literally in the making of the episodes, I allowed narcissism to protect me and protect my pride and my narcissism would that not be the, the little epitome? Wouldn't that be the literal epitome of hypocrisy that I'm literally pr- putting on a mask to pretend to be something that I'm not because I want people to think a certain way about me? What would be the point of doing it, episodes about narcissism if narcissism is involved in the making of the episodes? So I left it there. I left it there. And look, there's a very good chance that if I was to say commiserate, commiserate, and commiserate, yeah, I, say, I say I want to mix the words together again, there's a very good chance I would make the same mistake again. Now, when I'm looking at the words, I, I, I think, I think, I mean, I sit here, I could sit here and try to explain what happened. I could explain my thinking. I could explain my thinking. Um, but it does, if I'm explaining it, I'm just trying to, to excuse it instead of just owning it, saying I made, I messed up. I made a mistake. No excuse. I looked stupid. Now, let's move on. See? But I, 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 I left it there for the very purpose that if my preaching and teaching something is not doing a work in me, then all I'm doing is producing podcast episodes. And it's easy to fall into the trap of just producing podcast episodes. It's easy to fall into the trap of just producing sermons but not allowing all of that teaching and preaching to actually be doing a work in me. So I left it there for my own embarrassment. So hopefully it will do a little bit of work on breaking that narcissism in me. So even if this, these episodes don't help anyone else, they help me and taking one step away from that narcissistic mentality that is built deep in every single one of us. I can't worry if it does. I, I, all I can do is present it and hope it will help you. But I know that it's done a little bit of work in me, even though it made me restless all night. And I, just, I kept looking at the numbers going, no, 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 no. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. Don't, 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 don't. Why did they just click on that? Why did they just click on that? Why? And I almost wanted to write in the description. I made a mistake. Like, and I, I, but I just tried to leave everything. To, to my own horror and embarrassment. All right? So, are you good? Now, let this is what we're going to do. So, commensurate, commiserate. That was the problem. We now looked at the nine attitudes, nine characteristics of narcissism. You can see my whole reaction to that mistake. You can probably see a little bit of that narcissistic, those nar- traits of narcissism and my concern with it and what I wanted to do. Now, let's go to this. This is what I really want to get to, right? The next part of this article that I have in front of me from crosswalk.com states how the Apostle Paul describes narcissism. And this is really what I want you to see, right? I want you to start thinking, not only about the narcissistic characteristics that are inside of you, but I want you to think of how possibly narcissism is beginning to 
manifest itself in the life of your church, in the life of my church, and in the life of Christianity in general. Because I, it's very easy for us to look at the narcissism of the world and point our fingers and condemn it. But I think the biblical prophecy of the, of the later times, latter times, is going to be the, the narcissism inside the body of Christ. So I want you to look for the narcissism, not only in your own heart, but in Christianity in general. Are you seeing it? Are you seeing it? Here's what they have to say. Knowing and understanding the nine traits of narcissistic personality disorder helps us to understand what Paul prophesied to happen in the end times. And they mention 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. 2 Timothy chapter 2. So I'm leaning over here to grab my Bible. I'm going to set these pencils down because I've got a bunch of them in my Bible. 2 Timothy, because I go everywhere with a pencil, a Bible, and a notebook. All right, here we go. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses three through five. Now, how this is typically handled is that everyone says, see, here's Paul and he's prophesying what the end times are going to look like. And everyone applies this to outside of the church. I believe this is a prophecy about what's going to happen inside the church. You'll see why right here. Second Timothy chapter three. If I said chapter two, I apologize. Second Timothy chapter three Verses 2 through 5, we're going to go back to verse 1. Now listen carefully to this description. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. You know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Now stop right here. Now when you start reading that description, I mean, I remember early, even in the 1980s, hearing sermons, in the late 1980s, hearing sermons, I was a young Christian, and they would go through like things happening in the news. They may even have a bunch of newspapers at the pulpit saying, see, this this is describing the world we live. And I would hear people do that in the 1990s. See, this is in the 2000s, in the 2010s, now in the, two, in the 20s. And every, every year, Christians are always looking at the world going, this describes the world. I will argue those things describe the world since Genesis. So the, why would these be, oh, this is the sign of the end times. Then, then, we, then they've always been present. So that doesn't make any sense to me. So, so what, what is this trying to say? Well, look at the next part. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now, as soon as I read verse four, that I have my, I have the clue. Clearly that's not talking about the world. When has the world ever loved God more than pleasure? That wouldn't be describing the lost world. Hey, the lost world loves pleasure more than, than God. Really? Okay. Whoa. Oh, breaking news. The world loves pleasure more than God. No, that's not breaking news. That's like, okay, tell me when something new happens. But that's describing the church. 
Now, go back. In the last days, perilous times shall come. Because even the church, Paul's writing this to Timothy. He's writing this to to those who are going to minister in the church. The church, when it gets to the last times, this is what's going to describe it. They're going to be lovers of their own selves. Narcissism. They're going to be covetous. That's the outworking of, of narcissism. They're going to be boasters, proud, all outworkings of narcissism. Blasphemers disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heavy, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. And then here's another way we, we know it's going to be the church, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. This is going to be the the characteristic that overflows the church and at its essence, it is narcissism. It is narcissistic personality disorder is going to take over the church. Not over the world. The world's always had this. This is going to be your church and my church. It's going to be, it's going to be, these are going to be things that you're going to struggle in your own Christian life. There's just going to be this, this spiritual disease that's just going to sweep over. And as Christians, we need to recognize it, see it, and strive and fight against it. So here's how they handle this. Knowing and understanding the nine traits of narcissistic personality disorder helps us to understand what Paul prophesied to happen in the end times. He wrote, Paul, People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, uh, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Let's break down this down point by point to understand narcissism at its core. So now they're going to really try to break. They, they've looked at the mental health description of narcissism. Now they're going to really break it down to look at narcissism at its core. What I want you to do in this, in this discussion is to think about how this is manifesting itself in the church. Here we go. Number one, they are lovers of self. Self-absorbed people will look in the mirror and admire their own outward beauty, falling in love with themselves. They think they're more special than others or should be given special treatment. They may spend excessive amounts of time and money on their appearance, continue to continue to get this treatment. They fantasize about having everything they want in life without restrictions or having to work for it. Now, has the church demonstrated almost a self-absorbed love for itself, thinking it's special and getting going absolutely crazy if something goes against it um, and, and, and they get mad thinking that they deserve special treatment than others and, they, and they, they shouldn't have to go through the same difficulties? Now, I know this is going to be controversial. I know this is going to be controversial, but I feel that we witnessed a little bit of this during the pandemic. Uh-oh, I know I'm about to get myself in trouble. But we got to go there. We got to. We have to. 
I watched over and over and over that a local area, state, county, whatever, COVID numbers going through the roof, local hospitals saying, hey, we need we need help. Hey, hospital beds. We don't have hospital beds, whatever the case may be. And some mandates would come in play and they would say, look, we're going to restrict the numbers. We're going to you, 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 you can't go here, can't go here. No large gatherings, so that gets rid of concerts, that gets rid of maybe movie theaters are shut down, that gets rid of this, that gets rid of this. And so all of these other things are being impacted, right? All of these other things are being impacted, and then some of those same impacts would be handed to the church, and the church immediately like, that's not right, that's not fair, how dare you do that to us? And every single time I'd be like, "Uh, it's happening to the movie theater, to the nightclub, to the bar, to the mosque, to this, to that. But no, 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 no. How dare you? How dare you think that any rule should apply to the church because we're special, we're unique. We don't have to follow those rules. Now, listen, I definitely understand that the church is very different than a bar from a biblical perspective. I understand that. Now, I I also understand that the world could care less that you're a church versus a bar or a movie theater. From the world's perspective, if everyone else has to follow those rules, well, then so do you. Look, I definitely understand that difference. Uh, Okay, here we go. We had someone leave the church once. This is what someone is telling me because they were not getting enough chances to sing solos. Yeah, that's that's a little bit of that. That 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 shows a little bit of the narcissism inside the church. But if I if I continue down the COVID situation, because I know it, I'm mentioning this one because it's so controversial and everybody gets so mad. But at least hear me out what I'm trying to say here. I understand we're a church, we have biblical commands. I I I understand all of that. But I also know that the church could have handled itself. Instead of acting like we're so special and we're so unique and how dare you tell us what to do and that we're being persecuted. Remember, there were Christians running around screaming we're being persecuted while churches were receiving millions and millions of dollars from the federal government and PPP loans, paycheck protection program loans, millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars while they're claiming we're being persecuted. Let me explain. When you're being persecuted, the government's not handing you millions of dollars to help you maintain your staff and maintain everything. That's not how persecution works, okay? They would be like, we don't care if you close down. We don't care if you have to fire everyone. So immediately already, I was like, we're being disingenuous. We're we're not being honest. We're being persecuted. And then I would look on the government website and go, oh, that church who's screaming they're being persecuted received $600,000. Not only would they receive the money, then they would flaunt all of the rules and regulations as if it didn't apply to them. They took the federal money, but they didn't want to follow the federal rules. It was like the height of hypocrisy and narcissism thinking that they were so special. I've said it a million times that when it came to COVID, the church could have been like, okay, here's the situation. All right, man, they're putting some rules on us. I don't know if we want to follow these rules. And here's what you could do. You could do everything in your power. I said it so many times. Well, they're limiting the number of people who can attend a service. Okay, just have more services. Oh boy, that's what a shocking. But anytime I recommended that, no, we don't do that. 
wait, you can't do that? You can't have five services instead of one? But churches were like, no mask, no social distancing, no, they were not going to follow one rule. It was about just their arrogance. We're special. We're unique. We don't have to follow anything. Lovers of self, who cares if it impacts anybody else negatively? We don't care. That's the very height of narcissism. I will argue COVID brought the narcissistic mentality to the forefront and I could care less about what the world was doing inside the church. Now, I'm not saying there were easy decisions. I'm not saying that, that every decision made was wrong. It was the spirit and attitude in which it was done. It was like, there was no, they wouldn't even be, it was like, no rules. We're not going to follow anything. And it's like, wait a minute. You, we can't do, we can't do the best we can. We can't figure something out. We can't work We may not be able to fulfill the rules exactly, but can't we do, can't we demonstrate that we're doing everything we can to follow the spirit of those rules, which means trying to protect people and not becoming a place that would spread it. That I, I, we could have at least demonstrated that, but it was more like us, our rights, us, 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 us. And that, that right there demonstrated to me, lovers of self. Let me describe, let me read how they describe it again. Self-absorbed. People will look in the mirror and admire their outward beauty, falling in love with themselves. They think that they're more special than others or should be given special treatment. They may spend an excessive amount of, of time and money on their appearance to continue to get this treatment. They fantasize about having everything they want in life without restriction or having to work for it. Now, I'm not saying that perfectly describes the church. But I'm saying there's a plenty of that in the church. My church, your church, in me, and in you. That's what we're looking to. Like, people are like, what do we look, where is the church going? It's going to be consumed by a love for itself. The church is going to fall in love with this itself, and it's going to love itself more than it loves God. That's where we're headed. The thing that we say we love is going to be ourselves. Number two, they are lovers of money. Along with their love of themselves is the love of money. Having money or the appearance of having money makes up for anything that may be lacking in their physical appearance and their character. They can convince people that they're successful and every kind and even kind because of their ability to purchase large and expensive items or donate to impress. The appearance of wealth makes them feel admiration. They think others are envious of them while they are secretly envious of people who have more money, power, or success than they do. Now, has the church become lovers of money? Only you can tell me what you think. I, I can, I, I'll give you an example. I received this email. So when did I receive the email? Let me look here. All right, let me go here. When I was trying to figure out commensurate and commiserate, I was also checking my email, okay? All right, here we go. Let me see if I can find it. All right, I get a lot of emails, so you're going to have to be patient here. I get a lot of emails, okay? So let me, let me find it. Here we go. All right, so I get an email, and it says, hope for victory over sin. And I'm like, wow, all right. 
Someone, someone is going to tell me how I can have hope for victory over sin. All right. And so I didn't know if it was going to be in regards to some other things that we've talked about, maybe in first Corinthians 10, uh, maybe who knows? I was like, okay, let me check this out. So I opened it up and it wasn't from a listener. It's from Dr. Robert Jeffress. He's the pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas, Texas, the one that I think is so politically hijacked, it's not even funny. But he wants to give me hope for victory over sin. Okay, I'm like, all right, this could be interesting. Here's a ministry going to give me hope for victory over sin. That's awesome because if they've got the answer and how I can have constant victory over sin, then I want that answer and then I'll be more than happy to take that answer and I'll bring it to my microphone and I'll point everyone to Dr. Robert Jeffress in First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas and say, they figured it out. You think I'm being sarcastic, but I'm not. If you've got the, the answer to how victory over sin and we can all stop sinning, Great, but if you're a church that has that answer, let's learn a little bit more about it. Hi, friend. That's how the email begins. Today, I want to offer you, your family, and your loved ones the opportunity to follow in the footsteps of one of the most extraordinary and impactful, impactful preachers in history, the Apostle Paul. The Journeys of Paul map and the brand new book, An Illustrated Guide to the Apostle Paul, His Life, Ministry, and Missionary Journeys are my gifts to you today to thank you for your generous support. If the Lord is leading you to give $75 or more, I will send you the resources above, plus the incredible grace-powered living DVD video and MP3 formatted audio disc set. The powerful 23-message series on Romans chapters 1 through 8 will help you understand grace like never before. It will be filled with practical truth that you can that can impact your life and family now. We will explore the subject of sin and how to claim victory over it. So you can learn how to claim victory over sin for the low, low price of $75 or more. You'll get some sermons and you'll get a book. For 75, now if you've got the, if you've got the secret to get victory over sin, why do I got to give you $75 for it? Oh, you, you've got, you've got some sermons on Romans. Well, whoa, man. I, I mean, I don't even know what, oh, wait, we have a series on Romans and you can listen to all of our sermons for absolutely free. But say, I don't have a name. See, if I got a name, if I had a name like Robert Jeffress, then I could charge people $75 to hear my amazing preaching on Romans. And then you would have the secret that you can claim victory over sin. Now, to me, if that does, if not, to me, what, what proves a love of money is when you take the supposed truths of God's word that you have discovered, you've figured it out. And then you're only going to offer it to someone if they give you $75 or more. But it works. I, it, it, there's some weird thing in people's brains. It, it really, I, it blows my mind. In many cases, the podcast that will put some of their content behind a paywall or will, will do this kind of thing where you have to pay $75, it's almost in some people's mind, well, that's got to be better. That's got to be the best teaching 
because they're charging money for it. Those, those ministries that just give it away, they can't be as important or as, or as successful of the, as these ministries because the ministries that charge the money seem to be the bigger ministries. They seem to be bigger and people continue to give and pay and give and pay. People will pay hundreds of dollars to get into a conference to hear them preach God's word. All of that demonstrates a love for money. That's just to me insane. Like, you know, oh, I've, it would be like, hey, Like I could package this series. Do you want to know what the future church will look like? Do you want to know the characteristic of the end times church? Well, if you'll sit, if you'll go to theologycentral.net and hit the donate tab and give me a gift of $75 or more, I will send you the audio files of my teaching on what the future church will look like. And then I just do my series on narcissism there. Would, 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 Would that, would it make my teaching more valuable? No, it would just show you that I'm I, I that I have a love for money. I don't know, but you you determine. Lovers of self is going to be a description of the, the, the. To me, all of this is just narcissism. A lover of self, a lover of money. Why why is narciss, narcissism kind of one of the symptoms of narcissism is the love of money? I think because you love money because what you can do for it for yourself. For yourself, for yourself, for, like, I know that. Look, I, I don't want you to think, I want to make this very clear. I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying this because I'm better than. No, I'm saying it because I understand it. I understand it. There, there's a, a, a little piece of, of, of audio equipment that I want right now, right? It's a, it's a headphone amp with a DAC. You, you may not care about that. It's $200. It's $200. But right now I can't get it because I got to take my dog to the vet. We got to put tires on the car. We need to do some things with our front door to, uh, to try to, there's some things we need to do. So I can't get it right now. I can't. That's okay. But I know that if I could find a way to get it, I would. But see, that, that's because I want something. I want something. I know I want something. So I, look, we all know we have these things we want. And we know that that love of money is because it's self-gratifying. It's self-seeking. And, and, and listen, people with money and people without money can all love money. You don't have to be rich to love money. You can be poor and, and not have a lot of money and, and, and love money. But it's all a part of narcissism because it's focused on self. All right, number three, they're boastful, proud, and conceited. Having physical beauty and or money can cause a person to be boastful, proud, entitled, or, and conceited. Let me make it very clear. You can be poor and not attractive and still be boastful, proud, entitled, and conceited. All right, but okay. They are preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. They want to be admired for what they have, how they look, so they flaunt it, hoping for attention. Now, there is an entire podcast. I think it's an Instagram account now. It's called Preachers and Sneakers, if I remember correctly. And it's uh, someone who started documenting these, these famous preachers wearing these like, you know, $500 pair of sneakers, $600 pair of sneakers. And that like almost every time they preach, they're in a new pair of sneakers. And they're like, what in the world is that all about? It's about a look. It's about an appearance. And it's lots of money being uh, spent by pastors, uh, wherever they're getting the money from. I don't know where they're getting the money from, but it's to look a certain look that that is a part of it, but it demonstrates a little bit of in the church. Only you can ask yourself, how does that describe your, your church? Boastful, proud, conceited. 
worried about looks and and success. I mean, only you can can consider that. Number four, they are abusive and brutal. Narcissism can cause a person to be abusive and cruel. All right. Abusive uh, and cruel, they are often controlling and expect to have all the power in any relationship. The reasons behind emotional and a physical abuse. They lack empathy for how they may be treating another person or what that person may be going through because they are so consumed with themselves. When they don't get their way, they believe that they have the right to punish the person for standing in the way. They also do not like to be called out for their bad behavior, so they will rage when confronted with the truth about themselves. There's are abusive, self-serving attitudes in the church where they don't like to be called out and that will lash out at anyone who even questions them. I've definitely seen it and witnessed it. Now, but it's in all of us. But this is going to become the, the, the future church. This, this is the, the future church that's coming. I don't know. I don't know when it's going to be firmly put in place, but this is what's coming. Let me read that again. Narcissism can cause a person to be abusive and cruel. See, that, that they, they keep applying this. I, I think they almost, and I, they haven't said it explicitly, but I think this article seems to be going with this is going to be possibly more the attitude maybe of, they may just refer to it as people outside the church and people inside the church. But second Timothy, that's the church it's referring to, all right? And the people in the church, obviously. But it's going to cause people to be abusive and cruel. They're going to be controlling and expect to have all the power in any relationship. The reasons behind emotional and physical abuse. It is the reasons behind emotional and physical abuse. They like empathy for how they may be treating another person and what that person may be going through because they are so consumed with themselves. When they don't get their way, they believe that they have the right to punish a person for standing in the way. They they also do not like to be called out for their bad behavior, so they will rage when confronted with the truth about themselves. Now, I will argue when the SBC got called out by some people like Beth Moore and others about sexual harassment and abuse within the church, those people got attacked horribly. The SBC didn't like to be called out for some of those things. I think so. Now, nobody likes to be called out. Well, it's because of our narcissistic tendencies. Number five, they're disobedient to parents. While children are young, needing 100% of their needs provided for, parents can become a godlike person in the child's life. And as the child ages, parents teach their child how to obey the, uh, the loving authority over them, which is God. Someone with narcissistic traits doesn't want to respect anyone in authority and certainly doesn't want to listen to wisdom. They want to do exactly what they were told not to do out of rebellion. And they believe they have a right to go against all authority because they're ultimately authority over their own lives. They, they believe themselves to be a God. Well, I think that attitude, not only will it show up in kids, it shows up in the mentality of the church. We don't want to listen to authority. Authority doesn't apply here. We are our own authority. We're going to do what we want. I, I've seen more and more of that in the church. Number six, they're ungrateful. People with, if I can, not narcissism, the people with narcissism are not thankful, grateful, or even content with what they have. It's just not enough. It's never enough. They always want more. They need more to be happy and then even more to continue to be happy. It's like an addiction. 
Many times, if they don't get what they want, they'll find a way to manipulate or take what does not belong to them. There's an ungrateful attitude in the lives of Christians in your church and in my church. Are we ungrateful? It's narcissism. Number seven, they're unholy, sinful, rash, and treacherous. They do not fear God or his punishment for unrepentant sins. They may not even respect for they may not even have respect for earthly laws which have been put in place by God who is the sovereign head overall. Ooh, is that hitting a little close to home? They will not even have respect to earthly laws which have been put in place by God who is sovereign head overall. They often only surround themselves with people who accept and enable their sinful ways, never telling them that they should be, make better choices. In dysfunctional families, the sinful person will expect everyone to cover up the truth, to continue to put the appearance that they are a perfect family out to the world. Um, and that is, well, basically how this all works within a narcissistic uh, I, uh, system. Now, I know they're, they're also throwing in a lot of things under each one. But I think we get the basic idea here that this is going to be a self-seeking, self-focused church that was more worried about appearances than anything else. All right, number eight. Sorry there, had to cough. Number eight, they are without love, not lovers of God. Love is patient and kind, not self-seeking or easily angered. Narcissism is the opposite of everything written in 1 Corinthians 13. So you take 1 Corinthians 13, the future church, the end time church is going to be the very opposite of 1 Corinthians 13. Now you look at your Christian life, you look at your church, how well does 1 Corinthians 13 describe you and your church or how opposite are you and your church to it? Let me read that again. Love is patient and kind, not self-seeking or easily angered. Narcissism is the opposite of everything written in 1 Corinthians 13. Relationships fail when they're entangled with narcissism. When someone is so in love with themselves, they're unable to love God and love others. They're so focused on what they're going to get from the other person, not what they can give or how they can be loving or good. If they act lovingly, it's only because they're expecting to get something in return for their act. Unselfish love is true love. I'm not sure if someone with narcissism is capable of true love. I'm not capable of finishing this broadcast currently because I'm losing my voice, all right? But we're gonna press on. That's a powerful description of what happens. Narcissism just makes you a lover of yourself, not a lover of anyone else, and everyone else is simply a means to an end, which we've already talked about in our descriptions of narcissism. This is going to infiltrate the church. It's gonna infiltrate your your spiritual life. It's going to be the... The characteristic of the end times. Number nine. We only have, uh, we'll try to finish these last two. They're unforgiving. They enjoy and gravitate towards forgiving passive people. They, They enjoy and gravitate towards forgiving passive people. That's why they hide well in a church environment. But they're unable to forgive even minor offenses, especially by the those closest to them. 
They keep a complete list of wrongs. Uh, okay, now let me read this again because I, I'm, I'm misreading that. They're unforgiving. No, let's listen to it carefully here. They enjoy and gravitate towards forgiving passive people. That's why they hide well in a church environment. In other words, they, they gravitate towards people who are forgiving. They got no problem gravitating towards people who are passive. But they're unable to forgive even minor offenses, especially by those closest to them. They keep a complete list of wrongs done to them by others as if it's ammunition to get back at that person someday. When confronted with their misbehavior or sin, they will throw back any wrong done to them, no matter how big or small or how long ago it happened. Grace and mercy are expected, but not given out to others. The church is going to become unforgiving. It's going to become unloving. It's going to become self-focused. It's going to become lovers of money. It's going to become treacherous and hateful and hurtful. That's what the church is going to look like. And I say the church is already starting to become this more and more and more. And it's only going to get worse. And then number 10. They're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They gravitate towards lust of the flesh instead of having self-control or living inside God's will for their lives. It's interesting to note that Dr. Ellis and Dr. Naki, who described narcissism in the late 1800s, at first only referenced humans who treated their bodies as a sexual object in their writings. All the other psychological self-absorption traits were added later. In other words, originally narcissism would be about, you know, basically as they talked about it, um, their body is simply as a sexual object in order to be, and that body is to be satisfied, that it was a preoccupation with self-pleasure, almost in a sexual way, right? That was kind of the original way it was looked at in the 1800s, and then it expanded. But there's a little bit that we've just, people in the church, the church itself will become a lover of pleasure, of being satisfied, they, they, want, they want to be pleased. They, they're not there to serve others, they want to be served. They're not there to please others, they're to please themselves. They're not there to serve God or to please God. God is there to serve and to please them. That mentality has infiltrated Christianity for way, 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 way too long. Way too long. Those are the 10 things that they take from 2 Timothy 3 saying that this, now they say this is what, they, they use this as a description of narcissist or, or to get to the core of narcissism. I'm using it to say this is what the church is going to look like. So let's go through them again. Number one, they're going to be lovers of self. They're going to be lovers of money. They're going to be boastful, proud, and conceited. They're going to be abusive and brutal. They're going to be disobedient to parents or just a, a disobedient attitude towards any authority. They're going to be ungrateful. They're going to be unholy, sinful, rash, and treacherous. They're going to be uh, without love, they're going to, they're, they are going to be without love and not lovers of God. They're going to be unforgiving and they're going to love pleasure more than they love God. That's, that's, what, the, that's what the Bible tells us to look for to, to the church. That we've got to be looking for it today. Look, you, you, you look for the signs, you look for the symptoms of something early on so that you can detect it early on, right? It, it's like, oh, I, I've learned all of the symptoms for this disease, 
but I paid no attention to the symptoms until the disease was, you know, had greatly spread throughout the body. So now it's incurable. No, you've got to look for it at the very beginning. We've got to detect this narcissistic mentality in ourselves first. We got to look in the mirror and find out where we have this narcissistic mentality in us. Then at the same time, while we're looking at how it applies to us, we've got to look at our churches and our congregations. And we got we to be willing to look at each other and go, man, that's a little narcissistic. That's a little Second Timothy 3 going on right here, right? That, that, that's a little bit of, 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 of this passage of scripture. And we maybe need to sit down and look at it and see how it applies to ourselves. That's just, we got to look for anytime. We almost need a Second Timothy 3 app on our phone, right? And that what it does is whenever we're in the presence of 2 Timothy 3 characteristics and attitudes, it, it sounds an alarm. And it'll beep, 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 And people like in church, like, what's going on? Can you turn off your phone? No, 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 no. It's telling me that 2 Timothy 3 is going on right now, right here, right here, right now. Now, it may be in you. You may be the one carrying the phone. You may hear, find out that it's you, but sometimes you got to take out and say, hey, guys, we got a 2 Timothy alert, a 2 Timothy 3 alert coming in. It's like an amber alert. And this alert tells us that I think right now in this church, we're demonstrating these characteristics. And, and that means, listen, it's not for you to walk around pointing it out in everyone else. It's, it's you acknowledging that you are just as much of the problem as everyone else, just like I am. I'm just as much of the problem as everyone else is. Narcissism happens behind the pulpit. It happens in the pew. It happens in deacons, elders, Sunday school teachers, nursery workers. It doesn't matter. It's present in the church. We have to, we, look, we know what's coming. It's, it's, to me, it's, it's almost bizarre. It's like the Bible's like, here's what's coming. And people are running around going, you know, no, this, this is what we need to be worried about in the church. We need to be worried about this. We, we're like, well, what about narcissism? What about Second Timothy 3, which really describes a narcissistic mentality? We've got to identify it, expose it, condemn it, and work together to move past it and try to push it back. But it starts in you and me. Look, look. The, the way the church can, can avoid this is that every individual in the church will work on, mo- on moving past and pushing back narcissism in their own lives. Like if every individual is fighting against narcissistic personality disorder in themselves, then the church as a whole can avoid it from infiltrating and taking over. But it's got to be every individual first and foremost looking at themselves. Looking to see where it is in them because it's in all of us. Now, I went through those relatively quick. But at 2 Timothy 3, you can look at each one for yourself. You can go back to the nine characteristics that the mental health world says, here are the characteristics of narcissism. And you really can compare them. And in fact, that's kind of what the article was doing. You really can fit those in perfectly with 2 Timothy 3. I think there's, I may not be perfect correlation. We may need to build a chart, right? We could build a chart. We could go, here are the nine characteristics of narcissism as put forth by the mental health community, right? Here is 2 Timothy 3 and then draw, you know, which, which one corresponds to which. 
This characteristic corresponds to 2 Timothy 3, this verse. That corresponds to, try to make them correspond. Because if you see them corresponding, then you know that I'm not making this up. And, And I think that you can definitely see how they relate one to another. And that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. There was a, I'll end with this. You may not agree with this, but I thought it was interesting. There's a big report. I'm going to go to Julie, uh, julieroys.com. Uh, and see if I can find the article. All right. The article was published on February the 7th, 2022. And uh, former master seminary vice president is accusing John MacArthur of plagiarism. Nobody else is really talking about it. It didn't get much coverage, kind of got ignored. You can draw, you can read about it and you can draw your own conclusion. I was going to report on it. We've talked about some of these things before, but okay. All right. So the, the, they have uh, this meme that this former vice president of Master Seminary uh, has published on Twitter. And it shows uh, John MacArthur. There's Phil Johnson sitting next to him. And, uh, I guess he's describing Beth Moore. I don't know if this was the famous time where he referred, told Beth Moore to go home and all of that nonsense, but okay. But uh, it says, it has MacArthur here and it says, uh, Beth Moore is a narcissist, okay? Then right underneath that, it has John MacArthur standing there and it says, names Bible after himself. Now, the argument is, well, you're calling Beth Moore a narcissist you literally have a Bible that says the MacArthur Study Bible. Your name is, is, you know, the big name there. You literally put your name on the Bible. Now, I know some people don't care about that. It always bothers me, right? It's like, why would be, why would you say Holy Bible, including notes written by John MacArthur, or, well, there's lots of debate on who actually wrote the notes, and that gets into a whole nother plagiarism argument and discussion that he didn't actually write any of the notes. It was actually people who worked for the seminary, yet he took credit from it. Okay, we, we could go on and on. That, that controversy has been going on for years. But the point is, you could say ju- the, the Holy Bible, including notes by John MacArthur, right? You, you could probably do, you could do that. I mean, personally, I think you just, you, you sell Bibles, and if anyone wants to write notes... They put the notes in a separate book, right? Like a commentary. Uh, but I know people like to have the notes right there in their Bible, but we can get into the discussion. Now, is that narcissism? Not narcissism. You can, you can say whatever you want about that, right? Are, are Bibles named after people narcissistic? It just seems weird to me that, you know, you put your name. Now, some people go, well, King James. It, 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 well, I mean, but most Bibles that you buy that are King James just says Holy Bible, and then it'll say KJV version, Right, but okay, you you could even make an argument there, whatever. But I will say this: whatever you think about that, when you go look, you're like, oh, there's the Ryrie Study Bible, there's the MacArthur Study Bible, there's the you know whoever, there's the Charles Stanley, whoever's got a Bible with their name on it. Okay, clearly that the the Christian publishing world knows that those things sell and they sell well, so they're always looking for another famous pastor to put on a Bible with some notes in there because they sell a lot, and we know and what's selling is the name of that pastor. They know that everybody in the publishing world knows that. Whatever you think about that. But I will say this is narcissistic. And I don't, I I will not make an apology for this. 
when you are a famous pastor and everybody's looking to you to hear you preach God's word and you go to a conference where you're going to preach God's word, you're going to take that gift that supposedly you have received from God, the preaching and teaching of your word, something that you feel that you're supposedly called by God to do. You're going to teach God's word and you're going to say, you can hear me preach if you pay $300 to gain admission to this conference. So the product being sold is God's word being preached by a celebrity. I think that's narcissistic, narcissistic all over. All, all, I mean, that's insane. Who would have ever thought who, that, that, you know, a, a, a man called by God and equipped by God to preach the word would then charge people $100, $200 to get in to hear said word preached? Now, we've, got, we've moved past it, but early on, some of these famous pastors were charging you $2, $3 per sermon to download it and listen to it on the internet. Which I've always, like, I can't believe that ever happened. I can't believe that ever happened. I literally cannot believe that ever happened. Uh, going, I can go all the way back to the 90s. Because I, I did it a number of times. MacArthur had a tape subscription service that you could get tapes sent to your house. You had to pay so much money per month. So what did I do? I'm like, well, wait a minute. How much does it cost to make tapes? So I started recording tapes and we put an ad in the Sword of the Lord and we started sending tapes when, wherever we could send them in the late 1990s. We were sending, one, there was one island I was sending tapes to that literally the shipping was costing me almost $25 just to get the tapes to that island. But guess what? We never charged them a dime. And I wasn't even a church at the time. I was just an individual sending out teaching tapes for free. So don't, I mean, now I understand the number of tapes they were doing would be far greater than anything I could ever imagine, but we were sending out hundreds of tapes. And it was great. And not only that, we were placing uh, little bowls at the cash register of Christian bookstores. And I was putting like a hundred tapes in there and anybody could take them for free. They were just right there, cassettes, just right there, take a tape. And I put the label on there, you know, whatever, you know, Romans chapter one, verses one through six, whatever. And we were giving them away. Now, again, that we, that's something we were doing and not, and not charging. So it's just, but if I was a celebrity pastor, I would be viewed as an idiot for doing that kind of thing because I would want to make some money for it. That's narcissism to me. But see, that's a narcissism that's no longer even condemned. That's just acceptable stuff. Like anyone who, who calls that out, you're the bad guy now, right? So like I'm, I'm calling out things that's not even viewed as narcissism. So there, in other words, there's a certain level of narcissism that's so entered into the church already that's not even condemned. Well, then what's going to be the next acceptable form of narcissism within the church that will not be condemned? Well, I can tell you how bad it's going to get. Second Timothy 3 is how bad it's going to get. All right. I hope that was... I, I still don't feel like I've, I've, I've stated it in a way to really convince people what I'm trying to tell you. Narcissism is going to be your church. That's what your church is going to become. That's what my church is going to become unless we fight against it. I, I, I just, I, I, I don't know what else I can do to try to get that point across. Clearly, I could have done it better in the last two hours of teaching yesterday and today. I could have done better and not messing up words. But I hope you really, really, really just, just please 
set aside all of my imperfections and please look for the narcissism inside of you because I know that I am greatly convicted by, greatly bothered by this right now about the narcissism I see in me, all right? Maybe maybe this is all just for me, but I'm, what sounds narcissistic, doesn't it? But I'm saying that there's enough of it in me that it makes me gravely concerned and how widespread narcissism is in all of us. All right, I'll stop right there. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. All right, thanks for listening. God bless.